So John Kenneth Galbraith, in his autobiography, A Life in Our Times, his family's housekeeper, uh, he, he illustrates a devotion to her. Her name was Emily Gloria Wilson. It had been a weary day, and I asked Emily to hold the telephone calls while I had a nap. Shortly thereafter, the phone rang. Lyndon Johnson was calling from the White House. Get me Kenneth Galbraith. This is Lyndon Johnson. He is sleeping, Mr. President. He said not to disturb him. Well, wake him up. I want to talk to him. No, Mr. President. I work for him, not you. When I called the president back, he could scarcely control his pleasure. Tell that woman, I want her here in the White House. <laughs> One thing I love about Paul, as we begin looking into his missionary journeys here, as we finish up the book of Acts, we see him do some ridiculous things. And he just kept going no matter how much kickback he got uh, for preaching the gospel. Uh, but he knew who he worked for. He understood why he was doing what he was doing. And it was for God alone. That's one thing I really appreciate about Paul's example. And Paul even wrote in a letter, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's one of those things. There's going to be brothers and sisters in our lives that are examples. And hopefully the ones we choose to be examples are those brothers and sisters that are just sold out for Jesus. The reason I appreciate them, the reason I look up to them, the reason I want to be like them is because they're all in for Jesus. You know, it's all about God. And that's the way we should be. We should know why we're here. We're here for the glory of God, period. Amen? Amen. Great sermon. See you guys next week. <laughs> Honestly, sometimes we just need to keep it that simple, don't we? I mean, what if we just owned that truth, that reality, lived just that? Wow. The church would look a whole lot different. People would be getting saved. Anyways, sidetrack. Let's recap last week. What were Paul and Barnabas doing? Well, they were asked to leave... Uh, Antioch, uh, uh, Poseida there. Uh, what did they do? They dust off their feet. They weren't Jehovah Witnesses. And what did they do? They went on an 80-mile hike. So this morning, I got a great outline. The perfect number seven, I got seven points. So seven points this morning that we're going to see laid out in chapter 14 of Acts this morning. The first thing I want to look at with you guys is us modeling ministry, what we must do, okay? If we're going to do ministry well, we need to be bold, right? See, boldness when even they're against us, those that we're sharing the gospel with, that we're ministering to, we need to be bold. Let's look at the first seven verses together here. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that great multitude, both of the Jews and the Greeks uh, that believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews, in part with the apostles. 
And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and to stone them, they became aware of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region, and there they were preaching the gospel. So just like in Antioch, jealousy rapidly appeared in all its ugliness. You see, Jews who disbelieved stirred up unbelieving Gentiles and they poisoned, you got that word there, poisoned public opinion against Paul and Barnabas. Bummer for them. So glad that doesn't happen today. Mm. Um, boldness. Let's consider that. Um, I believe boldness is what um, enables the believers to face opposition. It is our boldness that will do that. It will help us persist. See, Paul was a man on the move, but not a man easily moved because of difficulties. In this uh, city, in this city, there was a man named Onifrus who described Paul this way. He was of small stature, a bald head, crooked legs, in good state of body, his eyebrows meeting, and a nose what some, uh, somewhat hooked. Okay, so this was try to picture a man looking like that. Here comes the little apostle Paul, <laughs> unibrow and all, you know, <laughs> preaching the good news. Okay, but it wasn't about him; it was about Jesus. So, question for you and I this morning: When someone opposes you, do you emit? or admit um, boldness or a lack of courage or do you rely on your own self-assurance? What do you do? What is God asking us to be do? Right? Be bold. Be courageous. Be strong. That's what he's asking of us. So we need to have boldness as Christians. Um, secondly, we also need to have humility when they are for you. So those that you're serving, ministering to, preaching to, we need to have humility. Look at verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leapt and he walked And now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple uh, was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, heard this, they tore their clothes and they ran among the multitude crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you. And we preach to you that you should turn from useless things to the living God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk to their own ways or in their own ways, nevertheless, 
He did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven in fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with good and gladness, or with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Wow. Have anybody tried to worship you in that way? Chase you around, making sacrifices on your behalf? Wouldn't that just be a little weird? <laughs> totally weird. So Paul, he had this opportunity, right? We talked about opportunities a few weeks back. Here's an opportunity, and he ran with it. This opportunity to confirm his message with miraculous sign, along with power, which results in service, comes the temptation of pride, doesn't it? So the last group wanted to stone him. Now this group wants to deify him. <laughs> okay, Paul's on a roller coaster, isn't he? But Paul and Barnabas, they knew where the power came from, and they knew that they were only God's vessels. Not God's themselves. Only a vessel to be used by God. So this is usually the harder of the two temptations. Sometimes flattery is a greater danger than persecution. Would you guys agree with that? Absolutely. And in our society, we're bent on that. I didn't get enough likes. Why doesn't anybody care about my kingdom? The kingdom of Landon deserves more likes. <laughs> it's the way we're wired. It's what we're being taught. A little bit of background, guys. Uh, Zeus, that's a Greek name. Other not wise known as Jupiter, uh, that would be the Latin name. They called Barnabas. You're, you're Zeus. You're the leader, leadership. And Hermes, Greek name, uh, also known as Mercury, the Latin name. Paul, since you're the one speaking, you did the speaking, you're Hermes. According to ancient legend, Zeus and Hermes once came to earth as humans. So they probably made that connection for some reason. Archaeologists back in 1909 discovered ancient inscriptions in Lystra that actually had Zeus and Hermes on it. Kind of cool. So the people obviously worship that way. Another way to, yeah, the Bible can be trusted. Look it, we have this story. They really went there and these people really did these things. Yep. <laughs> so Paul didn't know what they were doing for a while, uh, <clears throat> for a while because they spoke in their native tongue, which we saw there in verse 11. So it probably wouldn't have gotten so far uh, had he had known so a few things we see here, okay? We see God of nature, right, in verse 15. We see God of history in verse 16. We see God of providence in verse 17 here. And then we're going to see God of grace in verses 21 to 23. Okay, so I just love how God shines through this, this chapter. So this was a Joshua, choose this day who you will serve type of preaching, right? Okay, he just lays it out for these guys. Some uh, call this an allegiance encounter, okay? Challenge a shift in allegiance, okay? And there's times I, I don't often would preach that way to you guys because your allegiance is already to King Jesus. 
But we know the world, their allegiance is to a bad king, Satan. <laughs> and you definitely want to, uh, you know, have encounters with an unbeliever. You want to challenge their allegiances, right? You know, who, who are you serving? <laughs> who do you worship? Yeah, that's where you want to hit them, and that's, that's what Paul does here. Others often see the need for truth encounter. Okay, that would maybe be a grace versus the law, right? Kind of like back in Antioch. That's what they were having to deal with there. And then others need a power encounter, like in Ilmus, uh, the, the sorcerer um, representing Satan's power versus Paul representing God's power. So, do you have the marks of humility in your life? I mean, didn't God say, be proud as I am proud? Oh, wait, wait. <laughs> what did he tell us? We should be meek. He is meek, right? We should follow Christ's example. He humbled himself, emptied himself, became of no reputation. Why? Because it's all about the glory of God. That's what it's all about, guys. So do you have the marks of humility in your life? Oh, yeah, I'm so proud of how humble I am. <laughs> I would encourage you guys, there's some great Christian reads out there on humility, and it really is the mark of a Christian. I encourage you guys, uh, read, read, learn, because it's not in our nature, because it's all about us. Look what I do. Okay, It's something we need to learn. We need to pray about. We need help. Cry out to God. <laughs> and another question do you find it more difficult dealing with opposition or flattery? Which one do you struggle with more? Again, if you see it, if you recognize it, it's easier to deal with. Which one do you um, relate to more? Our third point for this morning, we need to persist, <clears throat> persist when you feel like quitting. Okay, Persistence is huge, isn't it? Let's look at verse 19. Then the Jews from Antioch, Niconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and he went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas and Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to the city, and made many disciples. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So Paul becomes a part of a hunting expedition. Unfortunately, he's the prey. <laughs> okay? They're after him. How dare you come preaching this gospel, speaking of this Jesus? The city ends up stoning him. So some of the new disciples gathered around the fallen body of Paul. Possibly one among them might have been Timothy. Where was he from, guys? Lystra. He might have been there. How cool. Um, so Paul, um, he regained consciousness. He arose. And what did he do? I can't believe they stoned me to death. <laughs> I'm so... God smote them. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> you know? What does he do? Man, God still loves them. Even though they're rejecting the gospel. They hate the message of Jesus. I'm going to go back and tell them again. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? 
That is awesome. See, persistence is huge. You see, Paul, the energizer apostolic bunny, okay? Whether verbal or physical abuse, he kept beating his drum, didn't he? <laughs> it just kept going. Nothing out last, the energizer apostle. So, <laughs> the next day, what does he do? He then travels to Derby, 40 miles away. No more lingering in Lystra. Picture for a moment, for me, a mile, walking a mile, that's a ways. <laughs> but picture walking 40 miles after you've been stoned to death. <laughs> Ouch. That'd be a lot of pain. But he was on a mission. No time to chill out, get well, get healed. No, God's called me and I need to go. few illustrations for you guys this morning that I hope will encourage you. The memo from the testing director at MGM shortly after Fred Astaire's first screen test read, can act, slightly bald, can dance a little. <laughs> An older excerpt once said of another younger coach, he possesses minimal football knowledge, lacks motivation. He was referring to Vince Lombardi. Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor for lack of ideas. Thomas Edison's teachers gave up on him. He's too stupid to do anything, was their evaluation. And before he succeeded, Henry Ford failed and he went broke five times. So are you known for persisting or quitting? Persisting or quitting? Fourthly, we need to care for those you minister to. We need to care for those you minister to. Now how do we minister? What does minister mean? It means to serve. A lot of times we think, well, minister, isn't that you, pastor? Is that what ministry is? Getting up and preaching the word? Doing church? Counseling people in the word? Isn't that what ministry is? No, ministry is service, guys. We're all called to minister. We're all called to preach the good news. We're all called to serve others. We're all called to exhort others, to speak into each other's lives. That's who we are as the body of Christ. We're a part of what he's doing and he's the head and we all have our parts <laughs> and we all need to be serving. But we need to care for those we minister to. Okay, Just two or three weeks ago, I heard about a local pastor who wants to be done pastoring but he still wants to teach. I broke my heart. You want to be done with the people. <laughs> you don't want to deal with the people. You just want to teach the word of God. My heart just sank. Because ministry is people. You guys understand that? That's the ministry. It's two people. So, um, let's look at verse 21. How do we care for those we minister to? Well, it says here, when they had preached the gospel to the city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples exhorting them to continue in the faith, which we're called to do that daily, right? Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Exhort each other daily. Okay, so continue in the faith, 
in saying we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church, they prayed with fasting and they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So first, guys, we saw it with the lame man that was healed. Now it's expressed through their care and concern for these new believers. Do you guys care when somebody comes to know Jesus? I do a lot. You know, I've had the opportunity to share the gospel with many people and seen many come to the Lord. And there's like an immediate concern because I know how horrible and stinky Satan is. <laughs> how he'll come in and cast doubt into a new believer right away. And there's that care. And I think we need to have that type of heart towards our new brothers and sisters in Christ to continue to encourage them in the faith, to be praying for them. Okay, that Satan doesn't come in and rip them off. So, we see them doing it. So an effective servant of God knows the Great Commission, what it is, not merely to gain professions of faith, but to nurture that faith to maturity. Okay, That's what we're called to do. Great. I know there's a few ministries out there. They'll go to unpreached people preach the gospel, to speak of Jesus because they've never heard of it. But a part of their mission statement is not to establish churches there. They would just go evangelize, people get saved, and they leave. And those ministries have never made any sense to me in my head. And I'm not going to name who they are because if I threw off a few of the names, you'd be like, holy cow, I know them and I've supported those ministries. But it doesn't make sense to me. Because I see as Paul went forth, what were they doing? Churches were being established. They made sure eldership was put in place, that there would be care for these new believers, that they would be able to grow and to mature. And that's something we want to see at Freedom Fellowship. I know a lot of people who you know, have visited or you guys who've come to make Freedom Fellowship your home, you get the vision of the church is for the church. It's not for unbelievers, but it's to mature the believer. It is for the believer. That's why we take the study of the Word of God seriously. That's why we take the Great Commission, the Great Commandments seriously here. We want to mature. We want to grow. Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. My Word is truth. Well, if His Word is going to do that, we should take the Word of God seriously if that's what's going to grow us. And we need to be growing. Why? Because as we're maturing, what are we going to do? We're going to be able to care for others. Okay? If Paul and Barnabas weren't mature in the Lord, they wouldn't have this concern. They wouldn't care for these new believers. Okay? And I'm seeing this flavor today coming across the church. There's new curriculums that are coming out because the church is seeing there's a biblical illiteracy, I can't say the word, uh, within the church like never before. So they're coming up with these programs, how we can get together and study the scriptures, and we don't need mature believers around us. We can get together, new believers or even unbelievers, read the scriptures, and then we can share with one another what we think. I don't see that in scripture. I don't see that as discipleship, but that's the new and greatest approach that the church at large is taking. I just watched a conference uh, take place, and that was something that came out during the conference, is they're trying to do this. 
You know, and this is what pastors and leaders of churches are being told you need to do in order to get people to come to know Jesus and have your people grow. Well, I don't see that in Scripture. <laughs> what I see is that we're called to make disciples. Period. So you need to be discipling and you need to be being discipled. That's just part of the Christian life. Okay? Left to ourselves, there isn't a whole lot of growth. We need brothers and sisters to speak into our lives, to exhort us, to rebuke us, to love us enough to tell us the truth. We need that. That's why we take our children's church so seriously here. I mean, these guys this morning have taken time this week to really prepare a word for our children. We want to, it's not babysitting, guys. Okay? They need a foundation in the Lord, they need to know the word, they need to know truth. Okay? Not just them, but us too. I bump into saints. I've done, you know, you guys know I've uh, done a lot of jail ministry over the last six years. In doing the chaplaincy there, I had an opportunity to meet a lot of different people of different veins of Christianity, different denominations. And there were people, hey, I've been, you know, a believer my entire life. I grew up in a believing home. I was baptized as a baby. You know, all this stuff. Of course I'm good. I'm saved. You know, and you start probing a little bit. They want to meet. You're doing a little counseling. You're trying to help them. And you're starting to unpack, well, what's been going on in your walk? How have you grown in Christ? And there's just no growth at all. They're spiritually wearing diapers still. And some have been in the Lord for decades. What's going on? <laughs> we need to take growth seriously. And it's on us to come alongside our younger brothers and sisters because they're babes in Christ. Okay? Babes don't know how to feed themselves yet. They don't know how to change a stinky diaper yet. Okay? <laughs> and there are things. Okay? We know God gives a new heart. Okay? The Holy Spirit's in them. The Holy Spirit does a radical work. Okay? Change begins. But let me tell you what. God uses his people we are the temple of the living God, right? Okay. He uses us to minister to others, to teach others. That's the way he's set it up. If it wasn't that way, he wouldn't call us to do disciples, to be going into all the world and make disciples. He wouldn't ask us to do that. But that's what he's asked us to do, and we need to take that serious. But you don't understand, Pastor. That new believer a week ago, man, they were dealing drugs out on the street and... They're scary. <laughs> I don't want to come and help. The no, that's exactly who God wants you to go help. It doesn't matter. Well, they're just really hard and really needy. Yeah. Think back to when you first got saved. Some of us just need to look back to last week. <laughs> but that's the thing. We're called to love each other, be there for one another. I don't know why I got so sidetracked. Um, but part of what I want us to catch from this point, guys, is there, there's an exhortation that we're, we're to give and to receive. It's twofold. First of all, they encourage believers, what? To continue in the faith. Continue on. How many brothers and sisters have we seen come to know Jesus and then they've walked away? What's going on with that? No, we need to continue in the faith. And it's so hard. A lot of you guys get it because you're at church. You understand the importance of it. And don't our hearts grieve for our brothers and sisters that don't make it to the church a whole lot? They're struggling, they're being tossed to and fro, and you're just like, man, seek the Lord, get in fellowship, be in a place where you're going to be stirred up in the faith, that you're going to be growing. There's so many believers that don't take that serious, they take it for granted. I'll do church if it fits in. 
My kids have a tournament this weekend. I got a vacation going on, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to be legalistic, but the reality is the church is a blessing to the body. It's a blessing. It's a gift. Receive the gift from God. So perseverance is an essential mark of saving faith. So perseverance really is kind of like a badge for us as Christians. It's just like, yeah, we're in the faith. Okay? I'm believing. I'm finishing well. I'm fighting this good fight to the day I die. Isn't Jesus just for a season? (laughs) He's everything forever. And then secondly, guys, they also helped to organize the new believers. So they appointed elders from them in every church. And I want you guys to note Um, don't think there was one large church in the cities. As we're reading, there were a lot of home churches, smaller gatherings. I know some of you guys have traveled 15, 20, 30 miles to get to church today. You know? Would you be here this morning if you didn't have a car? Of course, Pastor. I would have left last night. (laughs) No, they just got together. We're my neighbors. Hey, you're a believer. You're a believer. Let's get together. Let's break bread. Let's worship. Let's pray together. Let's get into the scriptures together. So, uh, do you care for those you minister to? Or do you seek another notch in your evangelical belt? You guys understand what I'm saying by that? You see, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God, it tells us. It was never designed by God that we should be and untired people. So we never are called to worldly peace or earthly joy, freedom from sickness, nor pains of morality. Okay? If you believe that to be true, there's a church just up the road for you. But the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches what we just read here, <laughs> that we're going to go through many tribulations, and we must go through tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. See, none of our predecessors escaped tribulation. So why should we? Job, Noah, Moses, Abraham, David, Daniel, even Jesus' mom. <laughs> Honestly, Do you want to go through what she had to go through? We have the patriarchs, the prophets, all the apostles had to go through, right? All the martyrs that we read of. So all were made to pass through the fire of affliction. Spurgeon said this, It is ordained of old that the cross of trouble should be engraved on every vessel of mercy, as a royal mark whereby the king's vessels of honor are distinguished. Isn't that cool? That's a mark for you and I. So the best things in life are the result of being wounded. You see, wheat must be crushed before it becomes bread. Yeah, I'm gluten-free, but I miss good bread. And that doesn't happen unless the wheat is crushed, right? Incense must be burned in the fire before the fragrance is set free. The earth must be broken with a sharp plow before being ready to receive a seed. 
Just about anything you do to a rose simply causes it to give off even more of a perfumed fragrance. When raindrops fall on it, when the wind blows against it, when it's torn or crushed. You see, Jesus knows and loves every single petal that has been crushed on behalf of him. So what is our comfort in that? I'm glad you asked. We have comfort knowing that our master has crossed this way before us. We have his presence and sympathy to cheer us on, his grace to support us, and his example to teach us how to endure. And when we reach the celestial city, it will be more than uh, than makes amends uh, for our many tribulations through which we have passed. So keep your eye on the goal, guys. Okay? Fifth thing. Commitment to your call. Let's look at verses 24 and 25. And after they had passed through Sida, they came to Pamphylia. And now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. So, exhausted by their travels here, a lot of hard work by these apostles in proclaiming the gospel, um, these two missionaries, they now head home. But when they came to Perga, they stopped first, right? Pit stop! Gotta preach the gospel. <laughs> I love it, <laughs> you know? And be open. Sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but when I take road trips, it takes forever to get somewhere. But getting home, man, it's just like, I just floored, like, I just want to get home, you know? And just, you make good time. <laughs> but be open to what God has. Because let me tell you what, guys, this... Is not our home. We're just passing through. We're on our way home. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we're going. But don't miss where the Lord may want us to stop along the way. Um, so question. Are you committed to what God has called you to personally? Well, of course. After I get married... Let me finish college first. Well, I got to learn a little more of the Bible. Then we'll be good to go. No. Are you committed to what God has called you to personally? Right now. Next point. Reverence for the one you work for. gets under my skin a little bit when people talk ill of their boss and that's something easy for us to do because there are bosses and they're not supposed to be liked. <laughs> okay. We work for them. Um, but it gets under my skin a little bit because, hey, you know, you're, you're called to work there. That's where you are. They're your boss. You should serve with joy. Okay? You're a Christian. Ultimately, you're serving who? God. You know, employment's a blessing and you're undone about your boss who's providing a job this way. For you. It doesn't make sense in my head, but we're prone to do that. And as Christians, I think we're prone to do the same thing. Why, God, I worked so hard. I did this, I did that. Why aren't things working out? 
Why isn't this happening? Why ain't I blessed more? We need reverence, especially for the good boss. Verse 26. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. And now when they had come and they gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. I love that phrase. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So with their long journey finally done, guys, um, and finally over, they arrive at the church of Antioch. So this is the first missionary meeting in the Christian church um, with a report from the field. It would have been cool to be there. Um, some might have boasted in all that they've done, the number of churches that got planted, the number of converts, different miracles that were performed, but not Paul and Barnabas. They don't do that. They saw themselves as instruments. We were just instruments in the hand of the master musician. Right? He was calling the shots. We were there for God's purposes. He accomplished what he wanted. And we just got to be used. <laughs> and all for the glory of God. He gets it all. So the essential for the servant of the Lord is that mentality. It's for the glory of God. And then verse 26. This little phrase, commended here, or given into the hands of another to be surrendered I love that. So a surrender that must be uh, definitive, okay? Unreserved, irrevocable. So we must deposit ourselves with God and abide there. Have you been bought with a price? Are you no longer your own? Sometimes. Because <laughs> I got my agenda. God, I can fit you in here. I got Tuesday and Saturday open for a few hours. Ouch. You see, guys, our memory verse from last week was 2 Timothy 1.12. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. He is able to keep what is... Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ? If you have... He will keep you. I believe in eternal security. Yeah, I'm not an Arminianist. <laughs> Why? Because God's faithful. If you have committed your life to Christ, if you've put your faith in Him, if you are truly His, born again, He is able to keep you. You guys understand that. I've committed my kids to the Lord. I've committed my marriage to to the Lord. Why? Because I know He's got it. I've committed my life, my service to the Lord. Do things always plan, you know, pan out the way I want? Absolutely not. <laughs> but I know He's faithful. He's promised. And when we commit, what do we get to do? We get to let go. <laughs> It's on you, Lord. You care more about me than I care about myself, and I'm pretty darn self-centered. 
You love me more than I love myself. You love my wife more than I love her. You love my kids more than I You love my parents that are aging, and I'm worried. You care for them, Lord. You care about my ministry. You care. You guys understand that. We can commit to him. So do you have and show reverence for God, or do you seek to steal a little bit of glory for yourself through glory stories? Look what I did. And it's easy for us to do, isn't it? It really is. Because we like to look spiritual. Don't we? Because I'm on with Jesus. I read my Bible three hours a day. Right after I'm done praying for five. Doesn't that just sound ridiculous? It does! And if I was praying five hours a day and reading my Bible three hours a day, I probably wouldn't tell you about it. It just sounds silly, and that's how people sound when they tell you all the great things they do for God. So, last one. Spiritual giftedness understood. So if we're going to understand modeling ministry, what ministry is about, we need to understand the giftedness that God has given to us. And where it came from is very important, right? It's not you, it's from Him. So Paul and Barnabas ministered with their gifts, the Spirit, as the Spirit had given them. So we saw what in this chapter? Prophecy. We saw teaching. We saw exhortation. And we saw leadership. Okay, so we saw quite a few gifts being used by these guys as they were out doing missions. So they didn't leave their new converts to fend for themselves. Their leadership gifts enabled them to bring a structure to a newly formed congregation and to install appropriate leaders. So question, have you identified your spiritual gifts? Yes? No? Well, boy, do I have a test for you. Personally, I don't like spiritual tests. You guys ever take one of those in a church? Here's my spiritual gifted test. Well, first of all, <laughs> a lot of times that's going to be your own flesh. What can you do? Because something God might be calling you to is totally outside of what you can do in your own natural ability that's been given to you. There's going to have to be something supernatural that's beyond you because then who gets the glory? God. And he's going to gift you in ways that you never thought before. One of the goofiest kids I've ever known, he came to know Jesus. He totally goofball and stuff. He literally picked up a guitar and within like two weeks, he's leading worship better than most guys I've seen doing worship for decades. I was like, what's going on? It was Jesus. You know, it's just, it's just one example. But the point is, guys, that it's the Lord that gives these gifts. So have you identified your gifts? And we're told to pray for gifts because sometimes we'll take that test and, oh, this is how I'm gifted. I guess I should have to do this. No. God, what is your will? Great. Lord, help me. Give me the gifts that are needed to do that. Aren't we asked in Scripture to ask for gifts? Absolutely. Don't put God in a box and say, well, this is all you've given me, so this is all I'm ever going to do. No! Keep praying for gifts. Okay? God, he'll give as he wills, as he sees fit for his glory. So, are you using them for his glory? Have you identified the gifts? And then, are you using your gifts? And I want to end with this. Um, there are still the 
qualities today that mark those who walk the path of effective Christian service. So, do you have the marks of an effective servant? That's how I want to conclude this morning. Pastor, that's a little personal. A lot of application here today. Yeah, that's kind of why the scriptures are there. <laughs> it's not just to know these things. Oh, I know where Paul went on his first missionary journey. Who cares? As we learn, have we applied what we've learned? Okay? The Holy Spirit's inspired these things, has given us these things for a purpose, guys. To show us what's right, what's wrong, how we can get right, how we can stay right. That the man or woman is thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's one thing I love about the scriptures. And if we read the word of God just for intellectual knowledge, look what I know, we're missing the point. It's to do a work in us and through us for his glory. Amen? Amen. You guys will bow your heads, please. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the time you've given us this morning to consider... Um, Again, just the acts of the apostles, but really what your Holy Spirit was up to. We're so thankful, Father, for how you worked in your church, how the gospel went forth, how you used different men and women, Lord, to proclaim the greatest news of all time, to preach you, Jesus, that men and women and children would be set free. And we thank you that that same Spirit, that your Holy Spirit, hasn't given up. You're still working today. You're still giving gifts to your kids. You're still wanting people to come to know you, to be set free. And we are thankful for that. And Father, would you please open our eyes. Let us see. Let us be brutally honest with ourselves of where we're at, what we're living for, what we're doing, what we're investing in. Is it eternal? Is it what you're asking of us? Lord, because when it's all said and done, only thing that matters is you. It's all for your glory, God. It's easy to know that. It's easy to study your word and see that. It's really hard to live that way, Father. Would you be gracious to us? Holy Spirit, would you please help us, Lord, to do what we can? Father, help us to trust. Help us to obey. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet, please. Before I read our benediction, which we're going to be to really soon uh, in the book of Acts, um, I want to invite anybody to come up afterwards. Um, maybe that has not received Christ as your Lord and Savior personally. But one thing I love about the gospel message, it's an invitation, isn't it? It's an invitation to all sinners because all are sinners. All need forgiveness, all need a Savior. And today is the day of salvation. That's what the Bible tells you and I. Well, are you going to receive that gift or not? If you want to receive that gift, I would love to pray with you or somebody will be up here to pray with you, to pray for you. And I want to encourage all of us
you know, a little bit we talked today about new believers. Okay? People are coming to Christ every day. I mean, people all the time that just got saved. Speak into their lives. Pray for them. Maybe you just meet them at the grocery store for one time. Grab their name and put them on your prayer list. Maybe you'll never see them again. But we're in a battle. There is a war going on over the souls of men. Okay? Satan hates God. He hates God's kids. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be there for one another. That's why I love this fellowship. That's why I love you guys. We're in it together. So, now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen? Amen.